Welcome to the Rimfire Tactical Podcast. This is your host, Chris, from rimfiretactical.com, and I'm glad you're here. As you know, we've been talking about lots of things that are happening this year, and uh, just keeps on getting better. It's been uh, by far the most interesting year I can remember in terms of rimfire shooting and uh, rimfire rifles and handguns, all the developments that are happening. And we're going to talk about some more of those things in this episode. But first, I want to talk about a few other things. As I've mentioned on the web, uh, the podcast before, different episodes, if you're not currently a member of the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group, I'd like to encourage you to head on over and join that group. We've had that group up and running now for over four years, and during that time frame, we've seen a tremendous amount of growth, and the amount of content that is there is just constantly growing. Not only is it the content growing, but it's it's exceptional content. It is becoming a go-to group to learn about rimfires, rimfire shooting, and more specifically, uh, the different types of trainers and rifles that are being used in lots of different competitions, as well as quite a few handguns. There are a large number of NRL 22 shooters there, as well as Steel Challenge shooters, and quite a few others that are shooting matches very similar to either the NRL 22 or Steel Challenge, but you know, slightly different rules based on uh, the type of series that's being shot there. Uh, some examples of that would be the Altus shooting series, or Altus, uh, depending on how you pronounce it, the Mid-Atlantic Rimfire series, also called the Mars series. Um, Voodoo has their uh, Voodoo Rimfire series. So lots of different ones there. But the great thing about the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group you know, several thousand members, not just from the United States. We have members from literally all over the world. Uh, if I counted correctly, I believe there are members from over 40 different countries at this point and constantly growing. And what's really neat about it is you get the perspective of not only somebody who's shooting in the United States, but you're able to see what shooters are using around the world and what's considered competitive in those areas. You know, not every area in the world, not every country allows their citizens the ability to own semi-autos. So a lot of those countries don't have the most basic, I feel, of semi-auto rifles available, the Ruger 1022. Those just aren't an option there. The Ruger 1022s aren't. The Smith & Wesson M&P 1522s, even the uh, Marlin Model 60s, the Remington 597s, none of those are options in those countries. What is interesting to see are a lot of the other manufacturers that are popular, not only in the U.S., but also in uh, Europe. Those happen to be very popular there as well. Uh, models from Anschutz, Seiko, or Saco. CZ, uh, just to name a few. Uh, and 
what's really neat about it is a lot of those shooters in those countries are using not just the rifles that are similar to the United States, but a lot of them are using optics that are very similar. But at the same time, what I find very interesting are the number of shooters in other countries that are using optics, for example, that we don't even have access to in the United States. Or if we do, because of import restrictions and import laws, they are, I won't say they're cost prohibitive, but their price is driven up by those import restrictions uh, to a point where they may be very uh, affordable in other countries, but in the U.S., it puts them in the same price range as a lot of high-end scopes that are, well, just to be blunt, they're better known. Uh, they may not be better scopes, but once you start getting into the $1,500, $1,800, $2,000 range uh, and up, that's putting you in the price range of the higher end Gen 2s and Gen 3s from Vortex, the uh, Night Force NXS series, the, um, the NX8s from Night Force. You can go on up, um, get into the, the Night Force Attack R series, Schmidt and Benders, Collis. Once you get up into those, those upper ranges, you're in some pretty elite territory as far as the optics go. And I uh, don't think it's, I don't think that the potential is there for a lot of sales on an unknown product, if that makes sense. But again, talking about all the, uh, that's happening in the, the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group, we just continue to see growth there. In addition to the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group, we have rimfiretactical.com where we have blogs. There's some links to the podcast. In addition to those things, um, we I think we finally have everything in place. And uh, within the next week or so, everything should finally go live with the new forum. I've talked in previous episodes about the forum and the reason we're doing that, both in terms of the flexibility that will allow us and being able to talk about a lot of things that are just not allowed on, uh, through Facebook's rules, but also uh, the ability to be able to have an environment that's dedicated specifically to the types of rifles and handguns that we all enjoy shooting and talking about. You know, to, to have something that's dedicated as a forum uh, very much like uh, some examples would be AR15.com. Uh, that is, you know, obviously, uh, as the title says, <laughs> it's a forum dedicated to the ARs. Uh, Sniper's Hide. It's a great example of a gun forum that just <laughs> has exploded through the years that I've been a member. Uh, going to, I believe there's hundreds of thousands, if I remember correctly now, hundreds of thousands of members and not only hundreds of thousands of members, but equally important millions of threads uh, talking about not only bolt action rifles, but semi-autos, uh, handguns. There's a really good rimfire section there. 
but just a ton of of data, a ton of experience, and we're looking to you know create that same experience for the members of the Rimfire Tactical Forum as well. And lastly, you're listening to the Rimfire Tactical podcast, and what's really neat about it is going through some analytics. Um, you know, we've we've built a um, a, a very good following, and I'm very proud of that. Uh, I've got thousands of uh, downloads and listens each month, and the, you know the numbers keep growing, and I'm I'm just blown away by it. Just to to be frank, really blown away uh, by how well it's gone. And now that we've been around for a bit, have several episodes out, we're at a point where we've got people getting lined up on the schedule to be on future episodes and it's uh, it's all coming together so really excited about it but something that's interesting in those analytics I was looking at the uh, breakdown of listeners and as you can imagine um, based in the US so about 80% of the downloads that have taken place so far are based in the US for the podcast. But what's interesting is when you start breaking everything down from there, we've got folks in Canada, Australia, the UK, New Zealand, Poland, Sweden, Germany, Belgium, Panama, the Netherlands, Iceland, the Philippines, Spain, the Ukraine, the Republic of Lithuania, the Kingdom of Jordan, as well as Turkey, France, Bulgaria, South Africa, Vietnam, Finland, Ireland, Argentina, Norway, the Dominican Republic, and Egypt. So to, to, to say that I'm blown away by the number of downloads and listeners, that's an understatement. But then to pile on and go into more detail, and specifically to be able to see that there are listeners from all over the world like that, yeah, that's uh, that's next level awesome to me. So, you know, not sure when you're listening to this, but we are at the end of February or coming up on the end of February in the next few days. Uh, it's episode 29. And, you know, at this point, I feel like we've spent several episodes talking about all the new rifles and handguns that are coming out for 2020, at least the ones that have been announced so far. Not to mention uh, the optics, the ammo, all the developments that are coming out. So I really don't feel like there's a whole lot for us to, to go, talk about right now. At least there's 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 not anything else that I can talk about. Um, been fortunate enough to learn about a few things that are in the pipeline, but until those get announced, you know, none of that stuff matters and. That's what those uh, those wonderful little NDAs are called, uh, those non-disclosure agreements. So um, you'll you'll definitely be hearing a few about a few more things coming out though, from what I understand, in the next uh, month or so, as the the NRA show in Nashville happens. So make sure you're paying attention uh, during that time frame. But a couple things I want to talk about with this episode. And I touched on it quite a bit with a conversation that I had with a shooter on the uh, last week's episode. But I had, I had a conversation with a guy that had um, 
not shot a lot of 22. He's shot in the past, but was, you know, trying to get, um, starting to get very interested in shooting 22s and he was looking for some advice and just so happened he was in a local shop and the guys there, uh, they saw me walking in. And so they had already told him kind of their, you know, recommendations, but told him to talk with me and see if I had anything I could offer up. And, you know, I talked a little bit about the conversation that I had with him and, you know, the questions that needed to be answered. But since then, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and the questions are, are typically pretty consistent. Um, they usually start off with, Hey, um, I've seen, you know, some of your blogs, some of your posts, or, you know, listen to the podcast. I'm thinking about getting started in, you know, insert match here. Some are interested in NRL 22. I've had some people also reach out and said they were interested in shooting uh, silhouette or, you know, some version of a match um, that has different stages that, you know, some are taken from PRS or NRL style, uh, style matches and then some offhand shooting that's similar to silhouette and different things. But the, the, the questions always basically come down to, I'm thinking about getting started and I'm thinking about rifle A or rifle B or maybe rifles A, B, C, D, and E. And sometimes, you know, I'll get a little bit more context, but a lot of times there's not really anything else there. And Frank Galley probably says it best when, whenever he says people ask him about rifles or scopes or choosing a caliber or things like that, you know, he's like, what's your favorite color? Because basically when, when you're asking me something like that, you're asking, what's your favorite color? Um, for a lot of people that are getting started, the rifles that seem to get mentioned the most in these comments or posts or, or messages, um, I get a lot of emails as well. And you're free to, to head on over to the Rimfire Tactical. Uh, um, I'm sorry, <laughs> what a day, rimfiretactical.com. Uh, you can sign up for the newsletter there where you'll get updates when new blogs are being pushed out, um, updates made to Instagram, new episodes of the podcast coming out. There's also um, a contact page there where you can fill out a uh, you know, a message and email it to me. Uh, you can just email me directly if you'd like. The email is contact at rimfiretactical.com and feel free to send your questions, uh, suggestions for episodes, things like that. But, it, you know, going back to what comes up most often, what is it that gets rec or asked about the most? Typically, it comes down to uh, about the same three or four rifles. Um, it's usually I'm thinking of buying a CZ, a Tika, a Savage, or maybe a Ruger. Um, typically, those rifles, it's one of the 457 variants more often than not from CZ. Obviously, the Tika is the T1X. Um, when it comes to the Savage, Savage has a, a number of different models. Uh, most of the time, it's always uh, one of the, the Savage 93 uh, bolt actions, but I have had a few people ask about some of the semi-autos. And then with the Ruger, more often than not, it has been 
someone asking about getting started and maybe buying a Ruger Precision Rimfire. And, you know, I'm happy to help just like all the members of the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group are. And in the future, the, the folks that are forum members at rimfiretactical.com. But what you have to remember is that there are so many things that, that factor in when you're asking a question like that. And whenever you're asking somebody for their opinion, that's what you're getting is an opinion. Now, there's always going to be some things that we can, you know, some experience we can provide. Um, there's going to be a lot of questions that we're going to ask when, you know, trying to help you make that decision. But the more context you can give us, the more we have to go from. And, um, you know, case in point, I had somebody reach out. They said, hey, you know, here's what I'm looking to do. Um, and this is the this is textbook. This is a perfect example of the type of uh, question that it makes it very easy for myself or anybody else to be able to to give you very direct answers. Gentleman sent me an email and said, "Hey, Chris, you know, enjoy the podcast. Love the Facebook group. Here's my question. I am looking to buy a new rifle." new being key here. He said, I have a number of older rimfire rifles and he named a few of them. Um, some of those were, you know, ones that he inherited or bought when he was a, you know, a, a teenager or, you know, in his early twenties, but he's looking to buy a new rifle. So the first thing I'm thinking is, okay, current production, because he said he doesn't want to buy a used one. So he's looking to buy a new rifle but he's looking to buy one that he can shoot in competition now and possibly take, you know, small game hunting, squirrel hunting, rabbits, things like that. But also something that he can upgrade as his skill increases when it comes to shooting in competition. So, you know, as you start thinking about that, Okay, we know he wants something new. We know he wants something that he can use for primarily for target shooting and, and some competition, but maybe he wants to take it squirrel hunting or something like that too. Great. That's, that, that's very helpful. Uh, because he's shooting competition, yes, he's looking for something that is, uh, you know, it's going to be magazine fed. It's going to be a repeater, not a single shot. Uh, something he didn't mention that would have been helpful was, would be if he was looking for a semi-auto or a bolt action. In this particular case, I'm just going to assume he wants to buy a bolt action. When it comes to the semi-autos, the king of, of, of kings, as far as the rimfires go, is the 1022. And it just really depends on which, which day of the week you like, which flavor, which color, uh, however you want to say it. Ruger offers the 1022 in so many different models from the factory. <coughs> Excuse me. And so it really comes down to, do you want to go with something that's a laminate stock, heavy barrel that's very heavy to begin with? And, you know, later on down the road, as your skill gets better, you feel like you, you need to make some changes to maybe make that rifle more accurate. You can upgrade the trigger, upgrade the barrel, upgrade the stock upgrade the magazine release. Um, as far as that goes, you can actually upgrade the entire thing, upgrade your, 
um, <laughs> the bolt, the, the entire thing. Do you, is it better to go that route or is it better just to buy, for example, you know, spend the money up front, buy a Volkorts and buy a kid? Um, yeah, those are some of the common questions that would get asked about the, the Ruger 1022 models. But like I said, in, for this particular case, we're going to assume he's talking about bolt action. And so at this point, it really, um, you know, one of the things I, I look at is, you know, what feels best to you. Uh, obviously, the Ruger is in a chassis. CZ and Savage are both now offering uh, from the factory. They're offering their rimfires in uh, chassis. So if you're if you're a chassis guy, um, you know those are three options right off the bat. Tika at this point isn't isn't being offered there. Um, so you know you have that to think about. Um, outside of that. What else do you have that you can use already? Case in point, do you already have other CZ models? Because if you have CZ 452s or 455s, then those magazines that you have for those older models that aren't being manufactured anymore, well, those magazines can be used in the 457. If you have... Uh, a Ruger 1022, you know, in your safe, or maybe you have them all 7722 or a Ruger American. Those magazines are interchangeable. Now, sometimes the magazines that are designed for the 7722s or the Americans, sometimes they don't always work uh, exactly as well when you swap those out and put them in a 1022 and vice versa. There's some small, minute differences between those, but for the most part, they work just fine. So if you already have some 1022 magazines, you know, that might make the Ruger seem more attractive. Same thing for Savage. Um, now with the Tika, again, that's going to be something that probably is not going to um, be a factor there because this is the first Tika ripfire. Uh, it's the only rifle using these magazines. So you're probably not going to have a bunch of extra magazines uh, sitting in the safe from where you've had other models throughout the years. The next thing we're going to talk about, what kind of optics are you, are you planning to use? Are you planning to have, uh, use an optic that's got a, a, uh, a really large objective? And when I say really large, 50 millimeter, 56 millimeter, what's, what's the optic you're going to use? And, and you might be saying, well, Chris, what difference does the scope have to, to uh, or does that make when you're talking about the rifle? Well, the biggest problem that we run into a lot and see other shooters have the same issue with is when you're buying that factory rifle and then you put a large a scope with a large objective on it, 56 millimeters, a great example. Typically, in order to get that objective to clear the barrel, between the rings and the, the base that's being used, you're going to need that scope to be sitting fairly high. And when you start moving that scope higher, you now have to figure out how to get your cheek weld high or get your cheek high enough so that when you mount the rifle, you're getting a good consistent um, hold on the, on the stock or chassis 
and you're able to place your eye right in line with the scope instead of having some odd um, hold on the rifle that makes it very difficult to be consistent. So again, you know, when you're looking at buying a, a new rifle, if that's the case and you are going to have a, a scope that's sitting really high, maybe you, you look at one of the chassis models because those chassis models, a couple of them have an adjustable cheek piece so you can move that a little higher and get better alignment. Or maybe you're not a chassis guy at all and you're looking for a stock. There's several that have the adjustable cheek piece on their stocks. Um, several models offer the the, the uh, at one stock from Boyd's. It has an adjustable cheek piece. And so you can move that up to get that better eye alignment with your scope. Others, that may not be an option, but you can add on a stock pack. Uh, there's lots of different ones out there. Uh, in addition to stock packs, uh, you can do what I did recently with the CZ457. It's It comes from the factory. Uh, the 457 I've purchased is the Pro Varmint model. It comes from the factory and avoids Pro Varmint stock. Used to be called the, the Tactical before they renamed it. And the scope that I'm using, not only is it a 56 millimeter objective, but it's a 34 millimeter tube. And I already had 34 millimeter rings, so I had no desire to go out and buy others. Well, even though I went with a fairly thin rail from a company called Triggers by Scar, ultimately that scope is still sitting a bit higher than I would normally have it sitting if I had, had went out and bought rings. So in order to get my eye in alignment with the scope, I had to find a way to build up a much higher position than the stock comes from the factory with. So I added um, the uh, cheek piece riser set from Victor Company and was able to add about an inch to the stock height, which perfectly lines up with the scope. So if you're looking at a stock that doesn't give you that flexibility, there's a good chance there's going to be some options that are out there and available. The Victor Company happens to fit perfectly on the Boyd's Pro Varmint stocks, but there's also a lot of stock packs that are available. And I've actually shot with more than a few people who, in, in an attempt to put something together, especially uh, if it was something for a new rifle that they just purchased, but they wanted to take and shoot and match, they might take something as simple as like a foam uh, tube that you would use as a, uh, to float around in in the pool and they would cut a section of that and then take duct tape and actually duct tape that to uh, the foam to their stock. I've seen lots of things like that done through the years. Um, the first time I ever saw it was from a, uh, a shooter that uh, he'd recently come out of the military and he said that was a common occurrence that you would see there. But, you know, it can be very effective. The key is you know, just figuring out what works for you with that stock. But, you know, we've talked a lot about the the different things that are, that to, you know, to consider with those rifles. But here's the other thing to think about. You know, he, he mentioned in that email, he's looking for something that he can shoot uh, for target shooting, 
and competition. Maybe some squirrel hunting. So weight could be a factor there. But also something that's easily upgradable in the future. So think about that for a second. Easily upgradable. We all know that a quality gunsmith can change the barrel on any rifle. We also know a quality gunsmith can change out uh, stocks, triggers. All those things can be done by a gunsmith. And in this day and age, a lot of those things can also be done by you know shooters at home with just some basic gunsmithing tools. You know, a, a good gunsmith screwdriver set can uh, allow you to do lots of things. And if you've had, if you have a, a quality torque driver, something that you can uh, determine the, the torque weight, you can do a majority of those things at home. A lot of the rifle systems that are available today are very easy to change barrels at home as well. Some, not so much, and you may need to take it to a gunsmith. But whether you're talking the CZ, which is easily swapped out with uh, uh, simply by pulling the barrel to action out of the stock and loosening a, a you know a locking nut there uh, or locking screw, you can swap that out. Uh, the same thing holds true um, from what I understand, and I, I don't have a Tika yet, but from what I've been told, it's a very simple process to change the barrel and the Tika. The Ruger Precision takes a little bit more work, but can be done. Uh, I can't tell you anything on the Savage. I just don't have any experience with those. But all in all, you know, it clearly can be done. It just is one of those things that you do have to think about in terms of, is it worth the cost of doing those things? And you, the reason I say that is, you know, there are a lot of people myself included, and I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to, the, to this episode who have spent hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, upgrading a factory Ruger 1022 rifle. A 1022 rifle that could be purchased uh, some years ago, and even now for somewhere between 125 to about $225 for the base model, just depending on where you are and where you're buying it from. I, I've seen a lot of people take that 150 or let, let's, let's shoot on the high side and say that $200 rifle and put a $400 barrel, a $250 or more trigger. So now there's an extra $650 between a barrel and a trigger change the stock out to maybe a Macmillan. There's another 450 to 500, depending on the stock. So now we're up to, let's, let's go with 500 for easy math. Now we're at a thousand or no, 1150, 400 for the barrel, 250 for the stock or for the trigger. Um, so there we've got 650, add another 500 in for the, the stock. And suddenly just in those three things, we're now up to you know, 11 50 in upgrades, and we haven't even changed out the bolt. 
which a lot of people will do. Uh, buying a kit from Clark or Kid or Valkortsen. So it's very easy to spend, you know, but by the time you change out a few other things, it's, in, it's incredibly easy to take that $200 rifle and spend another twelve dollars to $1,500 just on upgrades. And that doesn't even, we're not even talking a scope yet or changing out from the little rail that Ruger ships the rifles with, the little Weaver style rail. We're not even talking about the optics or the rail. We're just talking a barrel, a stock, a trigger, and uh, bolt upgrades. Twelve to fifteen hundred dollars invested into upgrading a two hundred dollar rifle. So the same thing can be done across the board. Um, there's a lot of people that I have seen with CZ four fifty five uh, rifles that have basically been down the same thing, the same road, upgraded stocks, upgraded barrels, upgraded triggers. And, you know, it's not hard at all. And some of them, you know, it may not be a stock, it may be a chassis. And instead of 500 on the stock, it may be 750 to 950 or $1,000 or more for the chassis. And suddenly the, the CZ455, of course the 457 is current production, but uh, prior to the 457, the 455 was the most popular model, especially in competition because you could upgrade it so easily. And I've seen lots of people with CZ 455s that they have in excess of $1,500, dollars $2,000 invested in. Is that a wise investment? Nah, I'm never going to argue with you and say, no, you shouldn't do that. I don't know you. I don't know your money. Um, and, and I don't know what your goals are. I hear a lot of people that recommend going this route versus just spending the money up front on a what might be considered a higher end rifle, uh, a custom rifle, if you will. Maybe it's from Voodoo or, you know, now there's this whole new um, group that's come out, uh, although I don't think any of them are actually shipping yet. But, you know, in the past, it would have been Voodoo or Onshoots that would come in the the. Um, the higher end comp guns that you would see. Uh, but now you've got the Rim X coming out. You've also got the, um, although I'd call it necessarily high end cause it's not custom at all, but, uh, but like the Bergara's that's a, you know, a factory offering. Um, those seem to be getting some really good reviews, but you know, on the custom guns, you know, Voodoo, the Rim X, uh, actions, the, uh, Let's see. Curtis has there was, I can't remember what they're calling it. Um, the, uh, the ultimatum. I think that one looks really cool. Uh, I think they call it the deuce. That's a, that, that looks like that one could be really nice, but I mean, there's so many of them out there. And, you know, once you start getting into that 1500 to $2,000 range, you're, you're starting to get into custom gun territory, which is custom actions, you know, aftermarket barrels from Bartland or, heart or you know whoever um upgraded triggers from trigger tech or maybe like uh who's some others timmy or bix and andy or uh you know the flavios so it's very easy to you know make those upgrades a little bit at a time and for a lot of people myself included that's the way that we've done things because it was easier to afford you know, a $300 upgrade or a $500 upgrade here and there 
versus spending $2,500 to $5,000 out of pocket in one shot. But, you know, going back to this original email that I got, you know, the guy was able to give me a lot of context of what he was looking for. Uh, like I said, I made the assumption that he was looking for a bolt action, not a semi-auto. But whenever we're trying to make those recommendations, whether it's myself, somebody in the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group, or anybody else, you know, somebody you meet at the range or whatever, those are the types of things that are very beneficial for us to make sure we're giving you the, the best information that we can based on what you tell us your needs and wants are. Now, ultimately, oh, with this particular fellow, we went back and forth a bit. And, um, you know, as it turned out, magazines weren't really a, uh, a deciding factor because he didn't have um, the rifles that he had were primarily single shots. As I mentioned, they were older models, but he didn't have anything that had uh, interchangeability with the magazines. So there was no real benefit to going with the CZ or the Ruger or the Savage because he didn't have any other magazines at, at the house. He mentioned that he felt like he um, had very limited experience even shouldering uh, rifles in a chassis. So he felt like a, a much better fit for him would be a rifle with a stock. So that takes away the, uh, the chassis options from CZ and Ruger, as well as um, Savage. And, you know, as far as the, the capabilities, um, he says he's fairly handy but has never changed barrels on anything because he's never had a, uh, even a Ruger 1022, you know, something that he could um, easily change out the barrels. But, uh, and this is a, a, a big, but it's a good, but, but it's a, but, um, but he has been able to figure out how to do lots of other things on his older guns, as well as home improvement projects and several different things by watching YouTube videos. And that is a benefit of where we are in the year 2020. There are a ton of resources and how-to videos on YouTube. Everything from adjusting the trigger on your rifle to changing out a barrel, changing a stock, you name it, somebody has a video there. And in the near future, we'll be right there with them uh, we've uh, launched the Rimfire Tactical YouTube channel. Um, we don't have any uh, videos up yet. We had a couple up. We pulled them because we figured out the, the quality wasn't there. And if we're going to do it, we want to do it right. But, you know, given the fact that he is very interested in being able to do those upgrades himself, you know, it really it doesn't necessarily narrow the choices. So then it becomes more of an, a matter of what would be my recommendation based off of not only my experience, but the experience of those that have uh, I've shot with and talked with. And, and really it's also, you know, the information that I take away from watching everything that happens in the Rimfire tactical Facebook group. You know, in that group, we had some issues um, several months ago. We had a couple of members that just could not get it through their head to quit either 
posting want to buy ads, you know, just making a post, Hey, I'm looking for, looking for a savage. Who's got one for sale or others that were trying to sell something, you know, taking a picture of their rifle and sticking it on there and saying it was, you know, 250 shipped to your FFL or, or whatever. And because of that, we did have to make the change to where, um, myself or one of the admins has to approve the post before it can be made public. And as a result of that, I see a lot of the posts now before they're ever posted instead of sometimes if it's been a crazy day or a crazy few days, I may not see a post until it was already approved by one of the other admins. Um, and it may have been approved 30 minutes before I saw it, or it may have been approved uh, seven or eight hours before I saw it. And there's already 15, 20, 30 comments from other members. But the main thing is because we're now approving those posts, I see a ton of them. And um, it's just been really interesting, you know, watching uh, as all this happens. And, you know, if you'll, if you're not a member, go over and join. You'll see what I'm talking about. A lot of people sharing their reviews of rifles and they're very, um, they're very enlightening reviews. The, the great thing about these reviews from the people who are posting them, very few of these people are quote industry people. That means they're not someone who was given a free rifle or loaned a rifle uh, and may be compensated for doing a favorable review. And that's not necessarily how it always works, but sometimes it does. But instead, these are people who went out and they spent their own money. They spent their time. They spent their own money not only buying that rifle or, like I said, scope, handgun, whatever, ammunition. They spent their, t- their money doing that, buying it. They also spent money in a camera a mic in in some cases, you know, sometimes it's somebody with, with an iPhone and a set of AirPods and that's how they're doing their videos. And that's perfectly fine. But there's quite a few people who are sharing review videos that are done with professional cameras, professional mics, and some serious editing done to be able to take an hour's worth of recording time and to, um, splice or cut that up and splice it back together into a, um, (laughs) those of you that are older will, will know what I'm talking about when I say cut it up and splice, obviously in the digital world, we don't do that, but, uh, they're able to take that hours recording time and shorten it down to a quick five, six, maybe an eight minute video going over the features and benefits of the rifle, showing how it shoots, showing targets, and also talking about the things they like, the things they don't like. You know, maybe the, the factory trigger was terrible. This is how the, how the groups looked. We did take a few minutes and we reduced the, the trigger pull down to the lowest setting that we could get. And look how our groups improved. You know, lots of videos like that. But, you know, like I said, in, in this particular gentleman's case, since, since a lot of the factors that we talked about, um, that I would normally look into the magazines, the ease of upgrading uh, or swapping out the, the barrel, the stock, things like that. 
And something that plays into that quite a bit is what options are available. How many manufacturers make drop-in barrels for that rifle? How many manufacturers make stocks or chassis that are readily available for that rifle? And that matters. Um, you know, with Alex, uh, I wish I could give you more um, experience, and I'm sure I'll have a ton of people that will reach out to me and tell me how I'm wrong about these things with the Savages. I just don't have any experience with them. It's not that they're bad. They're clearly great rifles. Tons of people own them. I just don't have any experience with them. But when it comes to the CZs, a lot of manufacturers are offering barrels. The same thing for the Ruger Precisions. And uh, now there's, uh, you know, more than, than one or two companies that are starting to offer uh, the barrels for the Tikas. So, you know, going back to uh, just kind of wrapping up the conversation, you know, through email that we had. It became readily apparent that the Ruger wasn't necessarily the, the best fit for him because A, he's not real big on the chassis, uh, but B, you know, it, it hasn't necessarily had the best reviews. And, you know, we've talked about that uh, way too much on previous episodes. I'm not going to dive into it again, but um, you know, if you're, if you're curious about the Ruger and if you have one and you like it, that's fantastic. There's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. Uh, if you're thinking about buying one and you're not quite sure, you know, what I all would say is just head over to the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group. Feel free to post there and just say, you know, I'm thinking about buying this rifle. Can you give me some insight? Why would you buy it or why would you not? If you've owned one, tell me why, you know, you, di you either like it or you don't like it. But uh, like I said, it was easy to take that one off the the list because he's not, um, he's not a chassis guy and he wasn't really, um, he didn't seem to have any interest on, the, uh, there's a new model from Ruger. Um, I think they call it the long range model. He didn't seem to have any interest in that one. And, um, I don't know, you know, I don't know if he, he had found some negative reviews or what, but that was, uh, that was one that just didn't seem to catch his, his eye at all. So now we're left with the Savage, the Tika, and the CZ. Um, the Savage, uh, from he did tell me he had seen several uh, people complain about the magazines with the Savages, and so that was definitely his, uh, you know, deciding factor for him. And he said, "So I, I really feel like I'm going to probably avoid that." And so, you know, we ended up in in what seems to be the same place every time these conversations come up when it comes to factory rifles, either the Tika or the CZ. And ultimately, you know, when we were talking about the attributes of each of them, they both have uh, 10 round magazines available. The Tikas fit a little more flush than the CZs do. Uh, the 10 round magazines though, you know, those are beneficial in competition for hunting, not so much. But the Tika comes to the 10-round magazine where the CZ doesn't. As far as options on stocks, the Tika has uh, kind of like the original Model T Ford. You can have, have it in any color you want as long as it's black. And uh, currently, the only option is the black synthetic stock. Uh, it does seem to be the only negative that I ever hear about the Tikas is that stock. Uh, I know I've shot a few now. and the stock's a little on the slick side, but it reminds me very much of the stock on 
uh, one of my Seiko quads and I simply replaced the recoil pad with a recoil pad for a uh, full size Seiko and never had an issue with it since. But uh, when it comes to the CZs, depending on the model you choose, whether it's the Varmint, the American, the Pro Varmint, the MTR, uh, or even the um, Varmint Precision Trainer, I believe, the one that comes in the manor stock. There's a ton of options that are there. Um, outside of that, you know, both have adjustable triggers, both have a 60-degree bolt throw, and both have a reputation for accuracy. The Tika comes threaded for a suppressor from the factory. Some of the CZ models come threaded as well. Others do not. And really it comes down to, there's so many things that are comparable between the two of them. It really comes down to which one fits and feels the best. Um, so at the end of our conversation, it basically came down to, you know, he has some work to do on his end. He needs to spend some time, visit some gun shops, look at the different models, see how they fit, see how they feel to him because they're, we're all different. I mean, you can take two guys that are both 5'10", 185 pounds. One guy's arms may be, you know, an inch and a half longer than the other guys. One guy may have a much bigger chest than the other guy. You know, one may be, you know, a bit overweight. The other one may be, uh, skinny, you know, as far as appearances go, whatever the case is, but different rifles fit different people differently. So, you know, ultimately we can all talk about the attributes that are great on a rifle and the same thing holds true for handguns, but until you pick that rifle up and put it to your shoulder, you know, none of that matters because it can fit me very, very well and be terribly uncomfortable for you. And, Case in point, a guy I shot with uh, last year at a match, he wanted to shoot one of my voodoos. And so I told him, come on over, absolutely sit down. And this particular voodoo, it's a J. Allen chassis. It is a hammer. I mean, it is, it is one of my favorite rifles by far. When he sat down, I watched him keep moving and adjusting, and he kept moving his head back and forth. And, and you know, I was like, you know, Finally, I went over and I said, hey, man, is there something wrong? And he goes, he said, no, I'm just trying to get get comfortable. He's like, you know, you've got a really short length of pull. And I started laughing. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm not sure if that's a short joke or not. And he just started laughing. But, like, I'm 5'10". This guy's like 6'6". Six, six. And, I mean, just, you know, he's a big, tall guy. But for him, when I looked at his rifle, he has probably close to a 14 to a 14 and a half inch length of pull. Um, maybe even closer to 15 because he had every spacer he could find in on his. Um, for me to shoot his rifle would have been terribly uncomfortable because I would have been trying to reach, you know, so far forward. But for him, you know, he was having to try to figure out what to do with, you know, all this excess arm that's normally, you know, being extended. Um, with me, it's just like, he's having to have it hanging out to the side. So there's all those different factors that, that come into play. And the other thing that we talked about as a final choice or a final thing to keep in mind, and this is probably a bit overkill, but for whatever reason, 
that's sort of where I've always found value was in, you know, those, those little things that maybe aren't that big of an issue. It may never be an issue, but if they become an issue, they're a really big one. The other thing was, you know, if he really likes this rifle, what are the chances that he might end up deciding to pick up another one? Maybe as a backup, maybe as one to keep as factory while the other one is getting uh, upgrades. You know, if, for example, he decided he wanted to have um, one that he's shooting a in base class with NRL 22. In base class, he can't change the stock. He can't change the barrel. Uh, he can upgrade the trigger, but he can't he can't change the barrel and the uh, the stock. So maybe he buys the CZ or the Tika and then decides to start upgrading that one. And so he buys another one to to keep his factory. Or maybe he, he buys that one and it shoots so incredibly well in stock form that he decides to pick up another one. Maybe he comes across one that's for sale cheap or something like that. And that's the one that he's going to buy and upgrade. And, you, you know, you don't like to think about it. But things happen sometimes. Sometimes they're out of, out of your control. And and if it's your only rifle, you can be really stuck. Um, those that are members of the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group, they'll know what I'm talking about when I, I mentioned uh, what I recently had happen. One of my voodoos, the one that I shoot the most in competition, voodoo calls it the black magic. Um, I call it the stealth because it's all carbon fiber. It's got the carbon fiber stock from all composites the carbon fiber barrel from proof research. It's a lightweight rifle shoots like it just shoots like it has eyes. It, it, it's such a great shooting rifle, but because of the carbon fiber in the barrel and the stock, it's very lightweight. So it's very, um, very handy for shooting off hand. And when I say lightweight, I'm not talking like five pounds. I'm, I'm talking like it's probably close to nine pounds, uh, with the, the Collis scope on it and everything. And I could definitely have went with a lighter weight scope, but, I really like that scope and for competition, I think it's fantastic, but, um, you know, nine, nine and a half pounds is really light compared to, for example, that Jay Allen voodoo I'm talking about, which weighs over 17 pounds and is not a lot of fun to shoot offhand. But I, I had to send that, uh, that lightweight voodoo. I sent it into voodoo for them to check a couple of things for me. Uh, nothing wrong with the rifle. It was performing well. Uh, won a lot of matches with it, but something I noticed is the magazines tended to stick a little bit and we felt like it was probably something to do with the bottom metal, which comes from all composites. And, um, I felt like the, the bolt wasn't necessarily quite as smooth. Now, ultimately to their credit, it was like, Hey, we're going to take care of everything because they, they excel in customer service, like no other company I've ever seen. But, you know, one of the things that they called that they were laughing at me and they were like, you know, just so you know, we've got the bolt working really smoothly now. We, we cleaned it. And, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, I guess in in all my running and everything, while I hadn't necessarily thought about it, I don't guess that bolt had really been cleaned and it has had easily over a case of, of Center X through it. But anyway, when that rifle was shipped back to me, unfortunately, uh, UPS decided to throw that thing around a bit and through a mistake on my part, which was to shift that rifle in with the cheek piece extended. Um, I, I didn't really think anything at all about it. It was just a, you know, an oversight a brain fart, if you will, on my part, 
I just didn't think about it. And so I left it extended and, you know, thought, well, hey, this is great. When it comes back, I'll just bolt the scope right back on and everything will be great. Voodoo, to their credit, they left it right where I had it. Um, they didn't collapse it, just like I didn't collapse it when I sent it in. But when it came back to me, uh, I could hear something rattling in the case. And sure enough, the cheek piece actually broke. The, the piece that your cheek actually touches, it actually broke off the neck uh, that goes down into the stock. And, you know, I've got a match coming up. The NRL 22 match for March will be uh, within the next uh, week and a half. And if I didn't have any other rifle to shoot in competition, I would not be able to shoot that match because that piece is broken. And of course, Voodoo and all composites are going to get it fixed. You know, not worried about that at all. But, you know, that is certainly something I would not have foreseen happening, yet it did. And because it did, you know, that's, that's where we are. So with all that being said, that's everything for this week's episode. Just to mention about our, our sponsor, GetAccuratePayments.com. I've talked in, in previous episodes. GetAccuratePayments.com. It's a great payment platform for anybody in the firearms industry. They're pro-Second Amendment, which means they have no problem doing credit card processing for any business that is related to firearms, whether you have a retail store or you're selling through your website or you're just someone who's going to gun shows on the weekends. They have options for you for credit card processing, everything from countertop terminals to point of sale systems and everything in between. So if you need help processing credit card payments with your business, whether it, you're in the gun industry or not, getaccuratepayments.com can absolutely help you. Just head on over to getaccuratepayments.com, fill out the contact form, and someone there will be happy to reach out to you and talk about the options that they have available. So with all that being said, we're going to call this, uh, this the end of the episode. I want to thank you guys for listening. Please head on over to iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Podbean, wherever you listen to the Rimfire Tactical uh, podcast. Please make sure to give us, give us reviews, uh, preferably five-star reviews. You know, five stars are winners. But um, give, give us a review. That helps us so much and helps other people find us as well. With all that being said, this is the Rimfire Tactical Podcast. It's where we're redefining rimfire. Go out, have some fun, take a friend shooting. Cheers. <laughs>